You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Series 2 of Finding Annie. Woo! Sound the klaxon! We made it to Series 2. Thank you so much to everyone for listening, for engaging, for subscribing and for tuning into this Series 2, which is looking to be very exciting. I've been speaking to loads of really interesting and impressive and exciting people and I cannot wait to share these conversations with you. First up... It's Henry Holland to talk all things fashion, darling. Mwah, mwah, mwah. But before that, a memory. So I've been thinking about our fashion memories. And uh, yeah, I remember you were always really good at customising a T-shirt. Like back in the day when T-shirts were quite a big thing in our world, you would always be coming out with some new little number that looked really good you'd have like chopped off the sleeves cut it down a bit low so there was like a little suggestion of bra but not too much you had someone like a fish brothers or something yeah i was always yeah i had slight tnv um but then sometimes you'd get a bit snap happy and i think i remember like some sort of like below the knee dress ending up as some form of crop top because you just kept snipping and snipping and snipping but yeah You were good. You were good with the scissors, babe. Yeah, respect. Shout out to Becky Walker for that snap happy memory of me with scissors and T-shirts. I did love my scissors back in the day. I've stopped now, just so you know. Don't really cut things up anymore. I mean, it's pretty embarrassing looking back. I used to wear super wide-legged jeans. I had this really shiny pair of wide-legged denim jeans. Shiny denim. I mean, shiny denim? No. And I used to wear them with clumpy kind of skate trainers, like Etnies. And I used to think I was the shit. I had short bleach blonde hair. I had a nose ring. I used to just really think I was, you know, the thing. And you look back on those photos and you just wonder why nobody just sat me down and had a word. I remember before that, a big moment for me in clothes was when I got my first pair of Converse. They were dark red. I think I must have been about 10. And I got them for my birthday and I was so proud of them. And equally, I remember an outfit of mine when I was in my final year of school. And uh, we were having some kind of party and I remember going in this pair of wide-legged pinstripe trousers and a black beret. (laughs) My mother loves shopping. It gives her insane amounts of joy. Uh, she used to make all her own clothes and there's some amazing photos of my mum in gorgeous like A-line mini skirts and dresses that she used to make. Um, when you go shopping with Rosie Mac, uh, you could walk away from the shop with anything, you know, like you could go in there wanting a new raincoat and come back with like a leopard print jumpsuit because my mum is one of those people who will like find that jumpsuit and pull you over to it and look at you with suggestive eyes and say, you've got to try this. It would be amazing on you. And then stand in the chain room with you when you try it on and be like oh it's just gorgeous Uh, so you know you walk away thinking that 
the only way to go is to buy the buy the jumpsuit. She's a very persuasive woman when it comes to clothes, and it's still a source of massive joy for me and her and my sister to go shopping together. Um, it's only in the last few years that I feel really super comfortable with my actual style. And that actually really helped me after I had my second kid and my friend Amy uh, got her stylist friend Sloney to come to my house for a proper clear out. So we went through the whole of my wardrobe and he was ruthless. And I threw out so much stuff, like insane amounts of stuff. And in throwing it out, I actually rediscovered loads of things that I'd kind of cast off as not working for me. And the most important thing that came out of that day was kind of finding what I wear most and just finding patterns in that and and kind of putting together some signature looks that I wear all the time. And that was so simple and effective for me. Um, Just having like three looks that I know work for me with the clothes that I have that suit my shape and all that business one of them was just like wearing a shirt open over a t-shirt with jeans or trousers I never wore my shirts open before he came around my house and it adds this whole layer of colour and texture and since then it's been just so much easier to buy clothes so yeah style is uh, something that I've learnt and I'm still learning but obviously it all comes down to feeling happy in yourself and not letting the clothes wear you but you wearing the clothes but no better person to speak to with regards to style and fashion than Henry Holland. He is a really, really impressive man. I mean, I knew that before I spoke to him, but after I spoke to him, I was even more impressed. He founded his fashion brand, House of Holland, back in 2008, was really quickly picked up by Harrods, Barney's in New York, Urban Outfitters, amongst loads of other retailers. It became super popular with celebs like Lily Allen, Lindsay Lohan, Jamie Winston and Agnes Dean, who was Henry's kind of child childhood mate um, became the kind of the face and body of House of Holland when it launched. He's had enormous success at just longevity in this very fickle world of fashion. Like it's hard to keep a brand relevant and alive for as long as he's done it. And I think one of the ways that he's done that is through a kind of embracing of collaboration. He's collaborated with all sorts of brands, including Levi's, Habitat, Magnum Ice Cream, Zwarovski, ASOS, uh, most recently Walmart and Speedo, both with sustainable lines. I've always been drawn to Henry's clothes because of his use of colour. I just love colour. I'm drawn to it. And his colours are so bright and brave. And uh, his shows are always really fun and exciting. And he's always been really generous in terms of including me in what he does. So, yeah, I was really happy to drag him to the rave shed on a very rainy morning. And we both drank loads of coffee and talked really quickly. And it was such an interesting and insightful conversation. So check it out. Please enter the podcast, Henry Holland. Okay, um, Henry Holland, hello and welcome to Finding Annie. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) I have got you here because we are focusing this week on fashion and style and I thought you would be the perfect guy to speak to. No pressure then. Well... Well, I was, that was one of the things I was going to ask you because I was like cleaning the house this morning, looking at it through your eyes, thinking, oh God, what's he going to think? That cushion's filthy. And oh my God. And, and there's Play-Doh all over the floor and stuff. Do you must have that all the time as a person. People must feel like they have to live up to like high fashion expectations. You see, I just don't. I know you're I not that guy. Yeah, I don't subscribe to any of that. But I think some people really do. And I think it's exhausting. Yeah, right. I think when people ask me, like I often get asked advice for 
people who wanting to start in the industry or, or you know get into fashion and in whatever way that be whether it be design or styling whatever and I'm just like the own the best advice I can give anyone is just be yourself mm. because if you start off not being true to yourself and what you are it's exhausting imagine just constantly trying to be something that you're not and trying to be you know this kind of you know high fashion like really posh person that you're actually not mm. I mean that's exhausting in itself and then on top of that trying to manage a career and sustain you know a business mm. would be impossible mm. drive you insane mm. you get it on the radio as well actually you get people who have personas yeah and I always find that must be so exhausting yeah. when you can't just be who you are oh <laughs> I, would, I, I would hate it I feel like I, I went through a phase of it maybe when I was about 1920 just mm. trying my best to kind of fit into this sort of high fashion world of like style mags and mm. you know just being too cool for everything and everything's you know just that's quite teenage in itself though yeah. Isn't it? yeah yeah um and then i, I think I, yeah i had a, a mild mental breakdown about 21 <laughs> So just like, okay, that's not working for me. Yeah, so that, that wasn't working for me. And then I was like, okay, fine, I'll just go and work at Smash It. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to get to that. But before we do, yeah. I, I want you to tell me, what is your first memory of you and clothes? What's the first thing you remember about clothes? Oh, I, I have, I think I'm, like most people, I have memories of times in my life which I can't remember whether they're my earliest memories or whether I remember the photograph. Yeah. And I think because fashion is such a visual thing, when you look at old photographs of yourself, that's one of the things you really focus in on. But I remember these, I remember some of my outfits as a kid because my parents divorced when I was really little and um, and there was always this kind of like, um, my mum used to dress me like a crazy child. Okay. And, and then my dad's side of the family would kind of be a bit more considered and a bit more uh, well put together. Yeah. Um, and I just used to wear all these like amazing primary colours, like these jumpsuits and these sort of bright blue cords with stripy jumpers. So <laughs> I just remember always being in these sort of really bright kind of over the top outfits. Yeah. That I think my mum put me in, but I have no idea. I mean, it's so interesting because you still wear those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? All these years later. And I wonder, was that your mum kind of tuning into who you were as a kid and dressing you accordingly? Or was that her just putting all of her taste on you because she can't because she's your mummy? I think it was a combination of the two. And then I, yeah. did you keep dressing like that because you, it's what you... Like, it's so fascinating, the psychology of yeah. it, isn't it? I think I, I definitely realised the power of clothes when I was younger. And... Yeah, my mum was definitely um, a really important part of that. And we used to, because my mum used to work away a lot. So I used to spend a week at my mum's house and then a week at my dad's house. And in the weeks I was with my mum, I would like help her pack for her week ahead and be like, oh, you think you should take that outfit? And, you know, I think you should dress like that. And I would be basically styling my mum up. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I come from... Uh, a family of really strong, stylish women, you know, like my stepmom is super stylish and my sister and my aunties and my yeah. cousins. And we're very strong women yeah. in the family. Um, and my grandmother as well was kind of the, the first person to sort of led all of that, I think, from that side of the family. And she was constantly in these very chic trouser suits. Yeah. Um, so I just, it's always been a really important part of my kind of my approach to things like just knowing the importance of what you look like and what you wear is so important yeah 
Yeah. And then when did you find, when you were kind of making autonomous choices and being able to dress yourself, can you remember any times from that when you were really proud or really kind of excited about stuff that you were wearing? Yeah, I think um, as a teenager, I mean, I grew up in Manchester and there's such a different approach to fashion and style, north and south, Mm. where I feel like, and it's probably an age thing as well, but when I was kind of late teens, I would definitely dress to try and fit in. I mean, more so than when I moved to London. And then the minute you get to London, you've sort of realised that there's this completely opposite approach where you dress to stand out and you dress to look different, mm. I think. And um, and I think that's probably more like a confidence of being a bit older and a bit more kind of aware of yourself and mm. a bit more comfortable in your own skin, for sure. But definitely there's a, there's a different approach. There's definitely a north-south divide in that. But... I just remember like fixating on certain items and just like having to have them and like yeah. traveling around. Like, I remember this, there was this diesel jacket mm-hmm. when diesel was the shit. Yeah, I do. And I remember uh, getting jeans and being like, oh, yeah. so proud. I just like, yeah. I'm so good right now. <laughs> and I was just, I was fixated on this jacket and I was like, I just gotta have it, I've gotta have it. And like, I called around all the diesel shops in the country and I found one in Covent Garden. And at the time, my friend Monkey, She's called Rebecca, but she's monkey yeah. to you and I. And uh, she, I sent her to Common Garden to go and buy it for me. And I was like, I just have to have it. And then a week later, Ronan Keating was wearing it. Oh! In Heat Magazine and I couldn't wear it Oh again. no, Henry! Got it! <laughs> I was devastated. <laughs> I was like, all of my savings, everything. And then there he was in the roller coaster era. And I was like, this is it. In the bin. For that one. Oh no. Yeah. Hey, why do you think the brands like you know you're talking about diesel? Yes. And the brands were just like they, they had they had like times in yeah. they like when they shone. Yeah. And then they just kind of go back into the background again. What yeah. what is it how does that work? I mean you're a brand king. How yeah, well work? I think if if anything gets uh, of a certain scale and of a certain size and of a certain kind of level of um kind of excitement it kind of has to dip down because Mm. it can't it's really hard to sustain that so I think it's definitely from a a long-term business strategy it's better to try and stay just below that sort of yeah fanatical bubbling all the time craziness yeah yeah I mean the latest one of that I suppose is like off-white yeah and like there's not one rap song that gets sent that doesn't talk about off-white yeah I mean, it's mad. It's crazy. And then... I think that, that's a cultural thing as well, though, isn't it? There's something really culturally significant about that because him being like the first black British... Yeah. Black man designer, head of a house or something. Yeah, like. well, that that was for Louis Vuitton in, um, in Paris. Yeah. But that, I mean, Off-White was huge before that happened. True. And, he, you know, people had this fanatical kind oh, of, yeah, like, following of yeah. him as a DJ and as mm. a designer. And I think it's kind of this whole... Um, new approach to the industry where people don't have to be these purist people who are mm. like designers who've studied at you know fashion college for years and really honed their craft like mm. you know you can come from this from so many different directions now which I suppose is what I did as well but at the time it was sort of looked down on a lot more yeah 10 12 years ago when I did it I got a lot of shit for not studying for not, fashion for not being like yeah educated yeah sufficiently. every yeah. every every review that was written about my shows was untrained you know it was untrained designer untrained this oh and it's God. just like well what is a training right so <laughs> i wish you could see all of face right now. <laughs> so good i'm like all of these trained ones are doing really great well done on that. um <laughs> it's you know it's a it's a very different time and people have really acknowledged that 
um, the industry isn't necessarily just about that. It's about curating, especially something. because he's coming at it from a streetwear design. Like Off White is is for the it was originally streetwear, right? Yeah, yeah, still. So, is. so he's qualified. Completely. I mean, not that I as think you say there's no qualification or not qualification, but designers today or heads of brands or creative directors or whatever it is you want to call them, they're curators. So it's about we are we're content creators, we are fashion creators, we are. Um, you know, it's about creating a, a community around you mm. and cultivating something that people want to be a part of and people want to buy into mm. quite literally in terms of spending their money on. And that transcends so many different mediums. Like it's about styling, photography, um, you know, all of the things, all of the marketing materials that you create, but mm. also the pieces mm. at the same time. And you don't personally have to make any of that. It's all about bringing together the right group of people. What do you call yourself? Um, I now call myself creative director. Really? Yeah. So you wouldn't call yourself a fashion designer? No, either. I've had such imposter syndrome difficulties with that term. Really? Yeah. Because of the history of you technically being untrained? Yeah, and because I didn't study fashion design and I've always been quite vocal in saying that I'm not, I've am not. i never professed to be a fashion designer. So when mm. people say I'm a bad fashion designer, I'm like, well, I never said I was one. Yeah. It's more just... Whereas now, I think, because my brand is, you know, 11 years old, nearly 12 years old, I've managed to build a business and curate something and build something that has sustained that amount of time. Mm. I feel much more comfortable and confident in saying creative director, because I do essentially creative direct Mm. the House of Holland and the brand and everything that's a part of our output. How do you decide how much of your stuff to give away because I've from my perspective with your brand yeah. right because I'm not a fashion person but I am I guess someone in pop culture mm-hmm. or whatever you are really generous and maybe that's just because we know each other mm. in terms of what you what you um decide to to, to lend or to give mm. inviting people to fashion shows I think that you're really kind of on point with the people that you that you support publicly but how do you decide that is there some sort of fucking process where you have like pictures on a wall and you strike them off and like, like it's so peak yes and no like <laughs> i i personally i'm much i i've never paid anyone to come to my fashion show no and um, because i don't but that happens oh yeah i'm so naive oh God, about this yeah. stuff like so when you see paid. when you see a-listers at the front row they're yeah. being paid yeah oh my god i'm so naive i did not know we're that we're talking like enough to buy a house paid i did not know that yeah so I don't pay people to come to my show because I don't think it makes me feel icky. I'm like, if you don't want to come, don't come. That's fine. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and I much prefer to kind of work with friends, people that I've met mm. previously personally. So if I've met you and I really like you and we've like got on and, and you know, I'll send you some stuff because I want you to sort of be a part of yeah. the brand. Whereas yeah, yeah. Or if I've seen you do something in like popular culture, like probably one of the most recent ones where I haven't met a person is Lizzo where, but I was like I'm, have I'm whatever sorry. you want pay. I'm like you just take yeah, take, take me. it off take yeah. me whole it's yeah. fine You're and incredible. you made her something custom right? we made her something yeah mm. um, and I just got in touch with her stylist on Instagram mm. 
and was like, I'm obsessed with Lizzo and what she's about and, you know, her mm. whole message. Mm. And I would love to, you know, make her something, whatever. And then we made her a couple of bits and she she did a big thing for the red carpet recently with it. But, you know, when you see somebody who's out there doing something like that, mm. that's just like, you really want to support and get behind her whole message and her whole vibe is just about this sort of body positivity. And like, we saw her at the forum when she was in London a few yeah. weeks ago. And I was just yeah. like, people love her yeah. and what she's doing yeah um and it and it's comes from a place of authenticity for me yeah and that, that's the kind of people that i want to work okay. with there's yeah. an authenticity to it which i think is important that that's something i really try and focus on for, for our brand so whether it's that i've met you and we have a personal an existing relationship yeah. that's authentic to me for us yeah. to then work with you and yeah and and lend you gift you whatever it is you want or on the flip side, if there's somebody out there doing something that I really want to show support for, mm-hmm. then we'll we'll go out and approach them. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy what people will do for. You must get support. pressure to dress people that are what the opposite of what you're talking about. Sometimes, and and, and how yeah. do you because from a very kind of a what's the word, um, you know, like cynical pers- mm. perspective. You know, if you dress the right person at the right time yeah you could get a lot of sales out of yeah that. so it's kind of how do you how do you wrestle with that kind of line when you're like oh but they're such a dick so i i mean i <laughs> i'm a, a i'm a 15 year old fangirl at yeah. heart so yeah. i have like my personal kind of things that i kind of obsess over and love and i'm like fangirling over sometimes people wouldn't necessarily consider to be the most authentic i mean we've yeah, definitely from your eyes i mean yeah. yeah i mean we've definitely had some not always positive feedback from the kardashians when we've worked with them okay um but they they are a huge they sell clothes global right? kind mm. of phenomenon that gets my brand out there so there's definitely a business decision to be made when yeah. you're talking about these kind of choices mm. and i think as long as the majority of what you're doing is about those authentic relationships and those mm. kind of positionings then i think it's it's definitely the best way that you can approach it Let's talk about um, the beginning. So you worked for Smash Hits. I did. Did yeah. you go to college in Manchester? Uh, no, in London. So when so, I was okay. when I was about thirteen, I decided that London was where I needed the to be. The place to be. That's where I needed to be urgently. And um, so I studied down here, and I did uh, journalism. 
Mm. And on like day two or something, the head of the course was like, so when you leave here and go and work at your local newspaper? And I was like, sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I was like, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> hand up. So what? <laughs> a, a what? Uh, it was so old school. And I was just like, this is just, oh my God. So I called the fashion college instantly and was like, I'm on the wrong place. I need to come work. I need to come to you immediately. Seriously? Yeah. Oh and my was, God. That Joe one Dennis Norton. The, no, tell me the comedian, Dennis Norden, his yeah. daughter was running the fashion course anyway. She was yeah. like, sorry, we're full. Come back in a year. And I'm way too impatient for that. Mm. There's no way that I would just sit there treading water in London for a year yeah. and then be like, okay, now I'll start my degree. So I was yeah. like, oh, forget it. So I, I was like, fine, I'll do this degree. But on the side, I will do everything that I can in my spare time to make this a fashion degree. So I went and did like work experience for anyone and everyone who had the word fashion on their business card. Mm-hmm. Um, and through a contact of my sister's who was selling ads for these teen magazines, I went and worked for these, this mag called Sneak. Yeah which was basically like heat for 15 year olds yeah. and then smash it as well, which was kind of across the corridor, yeah. the shared teams. And, uh, I was doing like two days a week during my degree. And then, um, by the time I finished my degree, they took me on full time. So I did my last exam on a Friday, started work on the Monday straight wow. through. Wow. And, and you were writing for them, writing copy? It was fa- yeah, I was the fashion assistant and then my uh, oh, my okay. fashion editor left after about six months and they made me fashion editor when wow. I was about, I think I'd just turned 21. Wow. Um, so I was doing, yeah, like, I mean, I say writing, it was very much like yeah. credits yeah. for like yeah, juicy yeah. tunes. So you, so you were styling shoots and stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I was doing, it's quite funny when I see people now, so like, Girls Aloud wouldn't let me style them unless all I was allowed to do was their jewellery. Oh, <laughs> so like, my God. So I always, I always ribbed them for that. I was like, yeah. do you remember when you were just really, really great to me on that shoot? <laughs> um, who else? Like the Sugar Babes we used to do loads. They were always quite interesting. That's actually, when you think about it, that's the best education you could get uh, for what you're doing now. It was so fun. Because you, you're around clothes constantly. Like, fair enough, they're like you know, not the best quality yeah. or, or yeah. design, whatever. But you're constantly around clothes and fabrics and, like, you're seeing how they fit and how they, you know, make a woman feel and, yeah, what, you yeah, know, yeah. creating looks and styling things. Yeah. So I think, like, quite a lot of designers do go through being a stylist, but yeah. probably much more high-end high yeah. than what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, because it was... Like at the time, it was when pop music was just going so, so young. So it was, like, yeah. just after sort of the steps era when everyone was, like, six or seven. And, yeah. like, they'd gone after that kind of yeah. kid money. So I had to be, like, everything that I used in the magazine had to cost less than £30. Oh, wow. You... <laughs> wow, that's So that's you try challenge. telling a pop star that everything you've brought with oh you today is God. from, like... New Look. New Look and Mark One. They were like, they were my best friends. Yeah. The PRs from there. Wow. So Um, that's a challenge in itself, trying to make those clothes fit and look right for pop stars. Yeah. And did you manage it? You had to, I I guess. I wouldn't wouldn't dig out any of my old shoots and be like, look what I did. But (laughs) (laughs) we managed it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you did the T-shirts. Then whilst I was, yeah. And then I moved on to a different magazine and then I started making these T-shirts, yeah. And tell me the inspiration. Um, Why? Why did you want to make them? Just because I used to buy all of these slogan T-shirts myself. um, About like, it was when like Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, the Olsen twins were kind of like 
everyone's obsession. And because I was working in teen magazines, all I did all day, every day was scour Perez Hilton's blog for like news stories about those girls mm. and then do like copy their outfit page. Yeah. That was basically my job. And uh, these, the, I find these sort of random slogan t-shirts from LA that were like Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie and Lindsay Lohan slogans. And then it became this sort of running joke with my friends being like, oh, you could do that, but with English, yeah, like sort of people. Yeah. So I made these two slogans, one that said, love me some Lohan, and one said, buy this, Colleen. Do you remember when Colleen Rooney was in the paper with like 75 cricket bags every other day? Yeah. In the moon <laughs> cricket bags. And so I made a t-shirt that just said, buy this, Colleen. <laughs> And uh, I put it out there and, I, and my friend was working at Heat magazine and put it in the magazine. Yeah. And my mobile phone number was the contact to buy them. It still oh, is my mobile phone number my today. God. And I was like, this is it. I've made it. I made yeah. 150 of each. And I just sat by the phone on the Tuesday and I was like, this is just going to be blow up. Yeah. I think I sold six. <laughs> like total, like between the two designs. And uh, I was like, okay, so that went really well. So then it became this other joke amongst my friends, like, oh, do you remember those failed T-shirts that you did? Yeah. Um, and I was with one of my friends who was a, a fashion designer, Gareth Pugh, one day, and it, we're like, we were at lunch, and he was taking the piss out of me in these mm. T-shirts. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll make a T-shirt with your name on it. That'll sell. Yeah. Lol. And I did, and it did. And that was basically how it happened. And I made four T-shirts. And we used to go to this club night all the time called Boombox, and it was like the new rave era when all we, we all looked like highlighter pens yeah. running around East London with yeah. everything we owned on a chain around our neck. You remember? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, I just want to wear... I made some T-shirts that I I wanted to wear to Boombox, mm. basically. Mm. Um, and I, there was four... And there was you who Gareth Pugh, do me daily Christopher Bailey, get you free con Giles Deacon, and cause me pain Eddie Slamane, yeah. and they were the kind of most prolific fashion designer names yeah. at the time. Um, and I made like fifty of each. By this point, learnt my lesson. Mm. Only fifty, yeah. not one hundred fifty. Amazing. Uh, and I just gave a few out to some friends to wear to Boombox, and it was. It was insane how quickly it took off. I almost can't quite remember, but... Um, so I gave one of each to Gareth. Yeah, he, he was, wore the Giles Deacon one, uh, yeah, he, on Yeah, I was at his show one day, sat on the floor with all of his flatmates, and his flatmate was like, Gareth's wearing one of those T-shirts you gave him today because she'd been backstage mm. to say hello, and I was like, what? And basically, because he'd been working in his studio all night the night before, he hadn't managed to get changed, yeah. and that was the only reason he had it on. Yeah. And at the end of every fashion show, the designer comes out and does a little wave. Yeah. And Gareth did that, wearing a T-shirt that said, get your free con Giles Deacon. So Giles saw this and saw it as a kind of like... A, you know, like show of support to the mm. other designers. Yeah. And then Giles was like, oh, can you get me the, the, the Gareth, Gareth one? one? Yeah. And I'll wear that. Oh. Uh, and so the next day, Giles wore the Gareth Pugh one as a kind of reply. Yeah. And then the day after that, I was at my office at, like, I was at Bliss magazine at the time. Yeah. And uh, got a phone call on my mobile and this woman saying, oh, hi, Henry, it's Sarah Moore from American Vogue. Can I talk to you about your T-shirts? And she did a story on style.com and... I think within like a week, I was in Dove Street Market. Oh my God. It was insane. Oh my God. Yeah. And... It's such a mad story. But what it is, what I think is a testament to you that you've managed to make 
a, a fucking career and a massive global brand out of that. So it, what, that the was the test. hardest bit. Yeah. Was, was readjusting people's mindset from us just selling T-shirts to selling other things yeah. and building an aesthetic from a, a slogan T-shirt. Mm. So creating a brand that had a recognisable kind of visual DNA that wasn't just words on a T-shirt. Mm. So that's been the longest, most um, challenging part of the process has been kind of, you know, readjusting people's thought process. But I think, and like, it was up until probably three years ago, people just in every interview, they'd be like, so T-shirts? And I'd be like, so yeah. the eight years of everything else, clothes right? I've been making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the first time that you showed on a catwalk, like a proper oh, yeah. fashion show. When was that? That was in February 2007. And uh, it was part of this sort of group show called Fashion East and Lulu Kennedy that runs yeah. that. Uh, and she was like, do you want to do something with your T-shirts? And I think she was probably thinking something like a party mm. or an installation or, or just something a bit more fun. Mm. And I was like, could I do a show? Just because I thought it would be so funny and kind mm. of like the antithesis of what you would think. Yeah. And so... Rather than hiring supermodels, I just wrote the supermodels' names on the T-shirts. And so we did slogans for all the supermodels oh instead of um, yeah. instead of the designers. So it kind of, it was like an evolution of the concept. Yeah. Um, and so all the models that I couldn't afford or I couldn't book, um, we did slogans for. So there was like, flick your bean for Agnes Dean. <laughs> There's that provocative moment I've been looking for. Uh, my flies are undone, Lily Donaldson. Um, and then we did the top, you know, that famous moment with um, the Versace show and the four supermodels. So mm. Christy Turnington, Naomi mm. Campbell, Cindy Crawford, they all came out as a, as a four and, mm. and walked. So I got four girls to walk out wearing slogans of those Amazing. Models. So we kind of like recreated that moment. Yeah. Um, and it was it was crazy. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. I had an intern helping me, like, cut T-shirts that were longer than T-shirts, so they were therefore a dress. Yeah. I had another friend who was, like, a trained designer helping me make some other pieces. Um, and it was just a complete clusterfuck, for mm. want of a better phrase. But it turned out great, and it was, like, front page of the Metro, and it was... Wow. It was, wow. you know, it was a big story because of this whole sort of moment. Wow which was insane. I've never been more... I mean, I still get it, the same feelings today. Like, it's kind of this equal parts petrified to excitement. Yeah. At the same time when you're doing a show and you just, you can't stand still when it's going on and you just kind of like, what's everyone thinking? Yeah. Like, trying to f sort of make sense of what's happening. How many shows do you put on a year? Two a year. Okay. Um, and then we do two in the middle, which is kind of like these pre-collections, which we just do a photo shoot for. Okay. So I think I've done now about 22, wow. 24 shows. And, and the nerves still. Exactly the same. Wow. And the minute they stop, I'll stop. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. just, I'd, I, you know, I would, yeah. it would be so disheartening and depressing to know that I didn't care about what I was doing as mm. much as I used to. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think you... And everyone's like, do you not get more used to it? Or do you not get more organised? Mm. No, because there's a different set of problems that happen every, every time. Every time, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was one time, like the day before we did the show, we had all of these cowboy boots made in Texas. And this crazy Texan woman flew in, hand-carrying all the cowboy boots, and they were all two sizes smaller than... Because they needed to be, like, stretched. Oh, God. 
So we basically sat there like wedging girls' feet into boots for like 48 hours thinking we had no shoes and oh my God. there's always something that presents itself. Yeah, yeah. Wow. About two years ago, I thought we'd gone under. Like we were so close to losing everything. Wow. Um, just because we tr- we sort of overexpanded. We launched menswear and footwear and, and like handbags all at the same time. And it mm. was like, I just, I don't know. I just was like, let's do everything all at once. And mm. we just got a bit excited and wasn't really paying enough attention to the finances and mm. should have slowed things down much sooner than I did. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, shit's now hit the fan. Um, and I went through a really personal, emotional process of mourning the brand because I wow. thought I'd lost it. Wow. And I went through this whole process of like, I thought it was my identity. I thought it was who I was. And mm. I thought without that, I was like, well, who, who you know, yeah. what am I going to be? And then I went to this, which I feel like the other side of that is a much healthier approach to being like, okay, well, this is what I do for now mm. and I love it and it's a huge part of who I am and it's been a huge part of who I've been the last 10, 12 years, but it's not going to stop me going on and doing something else. Mm. And I went through that process like about two years ago and it was horrendous mm. and now I feel so much better. Wow. Having done it. Wow. So maybe it was the best thing. Yeah. Terrifying at the time. Yeah. Positive and like vomited on people's shoes. Oh, baby. It was like. Just stress. Yeah. Stress. Yeah. It's so weird how like the physicality of stress can suddenly just like come over you like this thing and you're just like, they're like, okay, so yeah, it's gone. You're like, what? Excuse me. And you managed to get it back. I mean, that's a huge achievement. Yeah. It was, it was rough for a while. But, um, yeah, again, a really like I, I'm I'm an annoyingly positive person. Uh, I'm often told <laughs> <laughs> the glass is always half full. I, I just so somebody was asking me about me and my husband the other day, and I was like, the best way to describe us is I'm the glass is overflowing, and he is the glass is smashed on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> So me and my husband. And when people know us, they're like, that is so you and David. I'm like, yeah. Um, I'm like, annoyingly, like, the glass is just spilling all over the floor and yeah. it's just getting in the way. Um, so I think going through that and coming out the other side, yeah, completely, like, I see it as a huge positive. Yeah. Because I feel like now my decisions that I would make around the business wouldn't jeopardise my personal life or, you know, wouldn't, you know, about, you know, wouldn't put, too much risk on things mm. we would definitely have a much more considered approach and be like it is just a business and there's yeah. so many more other businesses that you could head up on to do yeah. yeah would you ever want to do a virgil and like design like a furniture range for ikea or you know something like that 100 percent. yeah i think because essentially as you said it's just create creativity it's creativity right? yeah. yeah and i think also there's a neat there's an ego trip side to it completely which i'm always quite open about but putting your handwriting on your visual spin on on anything mm. you get a kick out do of it. cars yeah i would love to do a car mm. actually mm. um but yeah you get a real kick out of seeing your work in different manifestations mm. and in different formats because that's kind of what you're doing it's like so many if you've got a creative brain you're often what what the way that i define that is when you see something and you can see how it could be better mm. 
So you can like be like, I'd love that chair, but if it was green and pink and I had like this on it and like that on it, that's basically a creative mindset, which you can, you can transfer to so many different products. Mm. Like, Tell me um, before we go, because this has been epic. I love it. I want to, I want you to think of some like of your most treasured memories of your business career, like the, the bits that you will never forget. Yeah, oh, there's so many. I think, I think the earliest days when I I started from the spare bedroom in my flat in Chalk Farm, and yeah. when my best friend from school came to work for me, she quit her job as a model agent and came to work for me, and there was two of us sharing a desk Aww. in my spare room, which yeah. was smaller than this. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of where the business started from. Uh-huh. So that's always going to be super special. Um, and there's just been so many, like I've always worked with friends. And so there's so many sort of personal memories, like there's trips we went on to Singapore where we were, we were putting on a fashion show, but that was completely secondary to the fact that (laughs) we were on holiday with our friends (laughs) (laughs) and we just got really sunburned and we were like, oh, the show's today. Um, it's just been the, like the whole journey has been just such an amazing ride where there's just been these kind of huge highs Mm. and kind of like massive moments I think like maybe my first trip to New York as well with Agnes and kind of meeting Anna Winter and just going to these events and suddenly just sort of finding ourselves in amongst the kind of high fashion world kind of thing where we were just like but because we were mates from being 12 years old it was just like these two kind of northern kids just transported to sort of new york society and we were like oh my god (laughs) what we doing um so i think just and the fact that i've met we we managed to do it as like old pals yeah made it so much more special that's such an achievement isn't it yeah how much do you think being from manchester has affected you and your career hugely massively i can tell already well the humor yeah the humor itself like no but i well i would like to think no one from South of England would put flick your bean on a t-shirt. But also just what you said at the very start of the conversation, which is like, you know, it's not about pretending to be someone you're not. Yeah. You know, that's the Northerners are just so grounded. And yeah. Like you just, you wouldn't be able to survive if you had like haughty torty. No. Like, I think if you had sort of You just of get fucking like, slagged off. Yeah. Like people would be like, what you the fuck are you like? You have tickets on yourself, basically, yeah. which is the Northern. What is it? You've got tickets t- on yourself. <laughs> the Northern term. I've never heard that. If you've got tickets on yourself, then no one's going to believe a word you say. Do you know what I mean? No one's going to buy into it because they're going to be like, oh, he's got tickets on himself, that one. I'm not into it. So it's Love about like, phrase. and I think Northerners as well are much more open to showing who they really are. Yeah. And I think we're oversharers and we just, we like to share until people like us yeah yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> just yeah. keep going yeah yeah um okay and last question fast forward 10 years mm. from now you'll be 20 no <laughs> yeah i'll be 25 yeah what is the what is your goal well, I thought where, where we would were, you like to be i thought we were gonna buy a provence we'll be vineyard. in provence, <laughs> we'll be we'll in provence have, with we'll our own vineyard yeah yeah um you won't though because no. you're you you're gonna want to keep I, working yeah like. I think I would love to be in a position where I can work with other brands and sort of share all of my mistakes. Yeah. Because there's been some catastrophic ones. As much as there's been some amazing times, there's definitely been some huge mistakes. And I love 
I love building things and I love seeing it come to life. And, I, you know, I love the process of what I do. Mm. And sometimes that can, you can get bogged down in the kind of day to day of it when it, you're in it. Mm. And actually sort of seeing something from a slightly more distant perspective. And I really like, I love like helping people realise that stuff mm. and kind of, and bringing things to life. So I'd love to just work on loads of different projects but again I think that's part of my attention mm. deficit so House of Harlan can continue and you can kind of phone in yeah. now and again from Provence yeah and then they just take on individual projects yeah. design projects yeah and know. just consult and work for the people but yeah. I think you know the name House of Holland the House of Holland wouldn't necessarily have to always be a fashion brand yeah you know it could true, become yeah. more of a creative collective for yeah. want of a yeah poncier term but like <laughs> tickets on himself but like you know it could become more of a group of people that you know is a creative consultancy helping people being like okay we used to be a fashion brand and this is what we learned and this is how we did it and now we work with you know these stylists and these photographers and we can help work with you and build a branding kind of thing love it because look what you've done. You started out with some t-shirts in a bedroom yeah. and you've made it into this. So you can you can shapeshift it into anything you like. I like shapeshift. Yeah, like shapeshift. Shapeshift. <laughs> Just for the shape, strange things. Strange things. <laughs> Harry Holland, thank you so much. Thank you. What a great way to start the series. I hope you enjoyed that. If you do, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, I would love to hear from you. We have our own email address, don't you know? It's findingannimac at gmail.com. Hit me up there. Let's talk um, and we'll and we'll read out your emails on future apps. And also review us on iTunes, please. That would be great. And you can hit me up on Twitter if that's easier. Um, next week, I tackle a really big and important theme in my life, especially over the last five, six years, which is working and parenting. The eternal conundrum, how you do both well. And speaking to me is a, a dear friend and an incredible artist and podcaster, Jesse Ware. I was so angry. I'd started the track. I'd started vocaling and writing. When he walked in, I was breastfeeding mm-hmm. and vocaling. And that isn't me being like a super mum because I actually really struggle with breastfeeding. I think yeah. it's the biggest difficulty. Like I found it so hard. Yeah. Um, but I was breastfeeding because he was about to pop yeah. like like start shouting the baby and uh, it's like a human dummy for him so I was breastfeeding trying to d- do this new singing and Octavian like bowls in like and I was like what time do you call this what does it and he was like he was like um and you could see I was like oh god I've pushed it too far I'll see you then folks bye Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.